podcasts that are like super formal and like go like I'm you know like it's and a, this is blah 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 <laughs> and that doesn't feel like us you no, know it, it always feels like very like rigid when we had to do it and it's like we have to remind ourselves to do it I kind of like the idea of just opening with a conversation. All right, yeah. so today Nat and I are talking about The Push by Ashley Audrain or Audren. And uh, yeah, what do you think about it, Nat? Oh my gosh, I, I love this book. And I think we talked about how fast we both read it, yeah. right? It was, like a, it was like a thriller, and it was a thriller. But it was just done in like such a um, fresh way, I thought. Because, okay, so last time we talked about this and we talked about the book itself, the idea of the book, before we decided that we were going to read it. And I was like, oh, it sounds a lot like baby tooth to me. Or baby teeth, sorry. Um, And I didn't like that book. So I was a little bit worried starting to read this book uh, that it would be like similar and done like, is it going to be tasteful? Is it going to be like a little bit jarring? But I just that she approached this in such a like uh, beautiful masterful way I know I overuse those two words but um, they apply fully here I also really liked it like I think I read it in probably two sittings I agree like I feel like one we don't get a lot of thrillers from like a female perspective I don't know about you but I feel like a lot of them kind of happen like from a male lens so this is kind of interesting and then not only a female perspective but like a new mother which I mm-hmm. think is a common theme across a lot of the books that we've been reading like a lot of like Zadie Smith's books kind of have that that theme of motherhood but also like that darker side of motherhood that side that like moms don't really want to talk about or maybe they do want to talk about it and and it's just difficult because they don't think that others want to talk about it yeah it wasn't what I expected like I honestly thought that I was going to go into the like just reading the the jacket I thought that it was going to be a book about a woman who gives birth to a psychopath and Mm -hmm. ever and I thought you know oh everyone like kind of knows that she's a psychopath and the mom's upset because she doesn't have that connection with her child that's not what it was at all which I thought was really interesting um, and it's funny because it's like, I feel like the pace of it feels slow. You know what I mean? She's just kind of going through like the, the like minute of the day to day and she's like not really, you know, she's, she's kind of talking about being a mother and it, but there's like just enough of something like dark to kind of like keep you satisfied. What was, yeah. I, I never read Baby Teeth. So what, what exactly happened in that book? Basically, it was like the similar premise of, you know, a mother uh, finding her daughter to have some sort of like evil um, intentions or something and she can't quite figure it out. She doesn't get along with her and it's basically a problem child and um, I think no one really believes the mother and the mother like just builds up this idea of evil. But what it was in the end or the quote unquote twist of the book was that her daughter had behavioral issues because she was she was like autistic so it was just I thought it was uh really not really not tasteful Mm. you know like it was sort of do you remember like um maybe in the 70s or 80s there were a lot or maybe even earlier than that there there was a lot of literature that sort of took physical and mental ailments and sort of um, made them monstrous and that was the basis for a book so even something like Jane Eyre you know Mm -hmm. it took this like um, 
in this like psychological struggle of this woman and made it into this sort of evil portrayal of this woman who like lives in the attic. So to me, the treatment of this little child who's struggling with, you know, undiagnosed autism was mm-hmm. in, in my mind not treated uh, tastefully. So anyway, so I thought and I was worried a little bit that this book would, you know, have a similar subject matter, but it wasn't. It was like totally different and it was like, you know, a really um, insightful sci- psychological sort of exploration, I think, of a new mother, um, like a daughter who's sort of struggling with a distant sort of mother sort of the trauma of the mother's past and some of that is kind of hardwired genetically I think and then the daughter is also struggling with um you know feeling kind of left out when her baby brother shows up so I think this book even though the premise at first seemed similar took it in a completely different way and I'm very pleased with where it took it it's a long-winded way of saying that. It, it was interesting because, like, it felt like for the longest time just like a book about postpartum, kind of. And then it starts, so you're just kind of like, okay, well, this is interesting. But then it, it goes into some places. It, it And it goes to places that I think a lot of people would be afraid of going to. It gets dark sometimes, and I'm like, I, I feel like it, that took a lot of courage to, like, write something like that, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of like movies and TV shows and other books, you know, they they'll they'll kind of like dance around subject matter, but they'll never like go fully into it. Like this kid in this book, we're pretty certain killed two other kids, including her little brother. Like that's what we're seeing here, and the fact that and okay, sorry, I feel like I have to back up a little bit, but like I I don't want to talk about the end so soon, but I just want to know your perspective right now. Like you think the little girl killed both those boys? I do. Because it does leave you yeah. hanging. I, I do think that. And I was a little bit disappointed near 50 pages from the ending where, you know, there's this moment, I wrote it down somewhere, but basically she's like, oh, I must have spent the last 14 years sort of imagining this with me and my daughter and I was like oh really we're gonna put it on the mom and we're gonna put it on like postpartum fucking like like some sort of mental struggle she was having and I was really pleased when she didn't leave it there right she took it she took us a little bit on a roller coaster and ended right back where we were initially I thought that phone call at the end was you know confirmation that she'd done it all along and she'd done it again Mm -hmm. But you were worried up until that point that they were going to tie this up and be like, it was just the mom, like, like going a little crazy or whatever, like... A little bit. There were some moments, right? Because, like, Fox never believes her, Mm -hmm. right? He's always like, no, this is a you thing. Like, our daughter is fine. And he kind of, kind of, instead of being there for her, just is there for their daughter even more. And he never gets to see that, that side of her. So yeah, I was worried. Did you like fully <laughs> trust that that it would always stay that way? Oh, I was so worried that it was going to be one of those books that just gives you nothing. I, w- I, w- I was definitely like up until that moment at the end where it's it's re- when Gemma calls and is like something happened to Jet. I thought that I was in line with what you were worried about like 50 pages before the ending where you're like, oh shit, they're just going to sum this up as like a woman who was really struggling from postpartum and... Um, you know, was having like a little bit of psychosis or something. And it's mm-hmm. like, 
I was worried. I was worried. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be pleased if, like, this girl wasn't, like, a killer. Because then it's like she didn't go there, you know? She didn't go into the territory where, like, little kids can kill other kids, you know? Yeah. So, it, uh, oh, shit, she actually killed three people. Well, we don't know what happened to Jet, but there's that little boy on the monkey bars at the beginning, too. And that's how it started. That was before Sam died, right? Yeah, yeah, the one she, on the slide, just kind of looked down at her mom first, and then the next second, the kid's on the on the ground. Um, I think it was a little bit before then, she had told her mom, like, oh, I'm going to hurt Noah tomorrow. And then the next day, his he had cut his hair, and everyone was like, oh, did he cut his hair himself? But it was just, like, the timing of it. And there were a couple of instances where the timing of things were was just so strange. She also found the hair in her pocket after. She was going yeah. to do the laundry and it was there. Sorry, what were the other... She asked about poison as well. She was looking at a bottle of poison and she's like, oh, if someone were to drink this, would um, would they die? Or would they get really sick or something? And I, I want to say that was just before something happened to Jet. Because remember there was another time where Gemma called... I might be misremembering, but there was another time that Gemma called being like, should I take him to the hospital or what? But that might have been unrelated. Oh, yeah, there was another time. There was another time, too, when Gemma had found Jet playing with a tool or something, and and she knew that, like, Violet must have given it to him. And she was like, but then she accused the mom of, like, leaving stuff around. It was the blade. It was Fox's. The razor. Yeah, so was he an architect or something like that? Because he had all these yeah. blades at home and he built models, right? Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. Yeah. And so she I used think to use it to, like, cut her stomach for a while. Blythe? She had um, hidden away one of them in, like, a silk handkerchief in her drawer. And she saw, like, Violet come in one day in her bedroom, I guess, and kind of just... She saw her standing around, didn't see her actually take it, but the blade was missing the next day. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit like, it was a sad moment because she thought that, you know, her daughter was trying to get closer to her. She was trying to, you know, come visit her in her bedroom or whatever. And it was just to steal this blade. Okay, let's back it up a little bit because I feel like we've gone, we've immediately like gone into the ending of the book, which is totally on me. I'm like, so did she kill him? Okay, so the... The novel kind of, like, starts out where it's Blythe and Fox, and they're meeting, and they're kind of, like, that, that like, kind of hipster couple living in Toronto, like, you know, they're young urban professionals, they have, like, they're kind of going to nice restaurants, and, and, like, hanging out and having, like, this great, you know, city life, the two of them, and, and, uh, Blythe kind of acknowledges that her side of the family has some darkness to it. And I think there's a moment where we, like, flash back to her mother smoking a cigarette and kind of being like, oh, the women in our family are, um, are a little different. There's mm-hmm. something wrong with us. And that, that kind of, like, like kept at her mind, like, ever before she ever had children because she was worried that she was going to bring that into her own children. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she saw Fox and, like, how sweet he was and how kind, like, his own family was like his own mother and father she kind of felt confident that like that side would balance things out a little bit i'm curious like what you thought of that whole setup at the beginning like her relationship with fox like that kind of dynamic her kind of her little allusions to her past life 
and then how their relationship kind of like evolved once they did have Violet because I thought that Mm -hmm. that was really interesting because a good chunk of the novel is spent exploring like Blythe and Fox's initial relationship before they ever even have a baby and like her her history and like at their wedding like her family wasn't even there it was just his family and like she was okay with that like I I really liked how much setup there was because even in terms of how much backstory we have of Blythe's mother, Cecilia, and then her mother, Etta, I, I just thought that was so sort of um, instrumental in painting that sort of, I mean, almost like biological history, right? Or like not even just that, but it's also like the trauma built into their childhood and things like that. But I thought it was really interesting with Cecilia, Etta, and also Blythe was I don't think any of them wanted to have kids. And so, right? So, and all of them ended up with kids um, because of the partner they were with. And especially like Fox, right? I think Blythe was really infatuated with Fox, saw this um, version of herself that she could be with him, and I think kind of talked herself into, you know, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe my mother was wrong because her mother had kind of broken her heart in so many ways and she was trying to, you know, prove her wrong. So maybe this was another thing she was trying to prove wrong. But she does have it at least in the back of her mind and she does bring it up to him a lot. She's like, do you think I can do this? Do you think I'll be a good mother? And he kind of, you know, talks it away and just kind of minimizes it like, every every woman has these doubts you'll be fine you know yeah i thought that was really interesting i definitely you know also thought that he might have um taking took her less seriously took her sort of struggles with violet less seriously because of her initial hesitation right that's a good point and he was like fully on board, fully into it. And maybe for a while he was like, oh no, you still sort of need to come around. That's really, that's a really smart point. Like I, I, I don't think I noticed that before, but you're right. Like he, well, Fox always blamed the issue, like that dynamic between Blythe and Violet on Blythe, you know, like him. Jelly. Are you see her? Yes. Hi baby. Oh, She's just going to go do a split there. <laughs> their little spot (laughs) okay where was i oh yeah so like the the relationship between blythe and violet it seemed like fox put full fault on blythe and almost like thinking okay you know violet is this perfect is this combination of like myself and blythe and almost like he could i almost wonder if he couldn't uh separate the fact that violet was both of theirs and all of all of the issues were from blythe's side and blythe's history like Blythe's relationship with her mother her mother's relationship with her mother and thinking that she's just subconsciously carrying this on to her daughter so anything she I feel like anything she would have said from the beginning would already be discounted because she has this history and Fox is aware of it but their relationship I don't know it struck me as so strange at the beginning because at first I saw myself in it because it was like this couple you know they're having a lot of fun in this city they're they're loving like you know they they both have like promising careers they're having a good time she doesn't really want kids and you know they're just like enjoying themselves and like having a lot of fun I'm like okay yeah like I can relate to this but then it like starts to turn when he's like wanting to have kids and sorry I'm going back to the beginning like 
I just turned to a page and he's like, you're anxious. She can sense it, you said. She'd cry, she cried for five and a half hours. I cried for four of those. I made you look up the definition of colic in one of the baby books. More than three hours for three days a week for three weeks straight. She's been crying for longer than that. She's only been here for five days, Blythe. I mean, hours longer than three hours. She's just gassy, I think. Like, he literally just passes off everything that she has to say about the baby. It's like, it's you. It's not her. Like, you're the one who's absorbing this. And, like, you just need to, like, you know, you need to relax. Because if you don't relax, she's just going to be more upset. He even, like, later admitted to hiding stuff in, in these instances from her. Remember the closet? She, like, cut up all her clothes, and he, like, hid it from her and said, oh, it's the cleaners, and blamed yes. it on that. But that's a pretty, like, that's a significant thing to have done. And he, again, like you said, just minimized it. It's like, oh, nothing. It's just her, like, acting out a little bit. But it's her entire closet that she ripped that's up. That's, like, that's sinister. But sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, it's it's okay. It's like, yeah, but it, chapter four, she kind of breaks down the years before Violet came. It's like, we ate dinner, laid on the couch while we watched current affair shows. We had spicy takeout on black marble coffee table with vicious corners. Her little details. We drank mm-hmm. glasses of fizzy wine at two o'clock in weekend afternoons, and then we napped until someone was roused. Hours later, by the sound of people walking outside the bar, sex happened, haircuts happened. I read the travel section of the newspaper and felt it was research, realistic research, for the places we'd go next. So she's enjoying, and she goes on talking about movies and golfing and, like, you know, browsing expensive stores with, like, hot, foamy beverages. It's just, like, this fun life, and she's really loving it. And she said, like, her ideas were brighter, words came easier. Because that's also a thread through this all, too, is she's a writer, which I forgot until this moment. And then it goes into, like, you know, they get engaged, they get married, and then they have the baby. And I actually just came across this line, I forgot it existed, but it's when they have the baby and the... And Fox is, like, looking at Violet. And it says, um, some mothers might have called it love, but it felt more to me like astonishment, like wonder. I didn't think about what to do next, about what we would do when we got home. I didn't think about raising her and caring for her and who she would become. I wanted to be alone with her in that surreal space of time. I wanted to feel every pulse. A part of me knew we would never exist like that again. So she Mm kind of, oh, sorry, I thought she was talking about Fox here, but she's actually talking about Violet. Yeah. So they're in the hospital, and she does have that moment where she feels mm-hmm. like this like deep love for her daughter but then she a part of me knew that we would never exist like that again so she almost she and that could have been a little bit of like her history with her with her own mother and knowing that like you know the women in our family aren't aren't um you know aren't really fit mothers or like we're not normal or whatever whatever the language was that she used and mm-hmm. it's almost like she, Ash, Ashley Audrain is like planting these little seeds of doubt into ourselves as well. We're like, well, is it the mom? Like, is the mom just, like, setting this up so that I think we would have accepted it at the end if they were, like, if Blythe just was imagining it all the whole time. Yeah, that's the thing, too, right? Sorry, I just want to jump back to the ending for a little bit, but we'll come back. I just, you just really reminded me of this moment where, okay, so um, in Blythe's mind, Violet has pushed Sam's carriage into the traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So she's, like, carrying this with her for a while. And then eventually, like, after uh, her and Fox are divorced and everything, she kind of needs to go back to that intersection and see for herself. Like, you know, kind of, I don't know if she was trying to recreate it in her mind or, you know, see the, the physical space. I think it was probably a bit of both. And then she went there. And there was another, this is another piece of, like, you know, 
more seeds that Ashley Audrain is kind of like planting. Like she goes there, there's no like dip in the asphalt, right? And she had in her mind thought, oh, there was a dip. And so the carriage, um, the bassinet rolled over. And, um, but there's a, co- there's a coffee shop across the street that she had just been at. And the person that works there told her that Violet was so distraught that day Um, She had kind of been clinging to Blythe after this accident happened, just looking for some sort of like consolation. Mm -hmm. And so you see that. You see that there's no dip in the asphalt. You see that the daughter's so distraught and you're like, and also that Blythe is just like not giving her any attention in that moment. And you're like, okay, well, are you saying it's the mother? Yeah. (laughs) Is that what I should be focusing on now? And yeah fuck that that really got to me too because i was like oh there's no dip but that doesn't matter like a carriage is still gonna roll onto the street if you give it a little shove it doesn't matter if there's a dip or not mm-hmm. you know i think she even doesn't she even ask the like coffee shop owner like was it an accident or like or did she say did did she flat out ask did you see violet push the thing i think she does and he's so. like no my dear like it was just an accident sometimes accidents happen or something like that I hope I'm not making that up but I I kind of remember her like asking him straight up if like he saw it and he's like it was just a terrible accident or yeah because like she definitely remembered seeing her little pink gloves on the handle or something so yeah I mean it sounds right to me that she would have brought it up there sorry you just reminded me of something else and isn't there a scene in the like earlier on in the car and they're like it's the family Blythe Fox, Violet, and Sam, and and they're going through the intersection. And doesn't Violet ask something about the intersection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a little bit before she had said, oh, when the traffic lights are red, like, cars must stop, right? And Blythe's, like, kind of annoyed, and she's like, yeah, they stop. Or maybe it was, like, maybe she said, like, when it's green, like, cars are going, right? And that's dangerous, right? And Blythe's like, yeah, like, that. that's when you go, um, you already know this. Why are you asking me? You're, I think she was seven or so at that mm. point. She's like, you're a big girl. You should know this. So yeah, again, timing. It's ominous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Forgot about that. There's so many little moments that kind of show you're like, it is Violet. It is. Like, she did this. And then there's moments like, oh, shit, are they taking me down? It's a good journey in that sense. Like, you know, you want it to be Violet the whole time because that just makes for a better story. But there are moments when you start to wonder if, if it's actually just about something else. Yeah, I mean, with all the mother backstory we have, too, I love that so much. Like, Etta's story of her one true love getting, you know, like, mauled by that farming equipment. And then, yeah, she kind of loses her mind. Like, she didn't want to be pregnant. Do you think it's, like, a reminder of her, like, boyfriend or husband that died that that kind of starts this? Or what do you think that was she's definitely struggling with depression at that point right yeah I think it's both of those things I think it's like she it's one of it's one of those things and you see it with uh Blythe as well where she's kind of like if I had to choose between keeping my one true love or this child I would choose my love you know and Mm -hmm. Blythe even you know for a moment she says it by by not saying it if that makes sense like there's a moment in the book where she says something like and I would never say, and I would never admit to myself, or I would never think 
that I would rather you had died instead of Sam. Oh, fuck, I'm like totally messing this up. It's fine. We can't memorize the book. Yeah, this it's is something all like paraphrased. It's a, yeah, it's something along those lines that she's like, I, I I would never ever wish that Violet had died instead of Sam. So I think Ada is kind of thinking that then too. She's like, I would much rather you know the baby not be here than my my partner not be here. And then she's kind of forced to marry that other guy, isn't she? Yeah, he was, like, sort of taking care of them and, like, bought them a house and mm-hmm. stuff, but... It was the daughter that she never really wanted, but the husband that she never really wanted, and then that just fed itself into into Cecilia and Cecilia's life, because then she never felt wanted, and she never wanted Blythe either. And how does she end up becoming pregnant with Blythe? We didn't go into, like, too much detail. It, it, it was kind of, like, in passing, right? Like, she had moved to the city, and she finally had her freedom, and she was dating this guy, Seb, and... Um, suddenly, suddenly Seb's friends were into her and she was really liking the attention she was getting from multiple guys, but, but now she's pregnant and it's Seb's and he wants to keep it and she kind of didn't have a choice in that situation and I think they like moved away from the city and he kind of just was like, yeah, we have a, we have a house now, we're gonna have a family and she didn't have a choice in that. A lot of storylines of women not getting to choose things for themselves. Life seems the most innocent out of all of them, but at the end it's like she didn't really want the family, you know, she just wanted to have fun with her husband. That really struck me too, because even when um, Cecilia breaks up with Blythe's dad, and um, because she's having this affair, right, and she, the guy calls their place a couple of times his name's Richard so eventually she goes to the city ends up living with him ends up moving back to whatever suburbs they live in because that's where he wants to live and she tries to leave again she moves to the city and to get her back this guy Richard has Blythe come over and Blythe goes over to her mother's house thinking oh my mom finally wants to see me again that's not the case at all it was like this guy manipulating Cecilia trying to get her back so yeah you know lots of instances of women kind of being manipulated not having a choice trying to have some autonomy and just getting sort of you know strung right back into where they were yeah it's a sad I liked those backstories. So what did you think about, we know all this um, backstory about Blythe's mother. We don't have all of that, um, Blythe's mother and grandmother, but we don't have all of that for Fox's side of the family. But his mother is like a pretty instrumental figure, Mm -hmm. right, in their household. So what did you think of that dynamic and how it sort of impacted her and their family? It was weird because the Fox's mom, I, I found myself liking her sometimes and then not liking her at other times. Like, I do think that she was kind of, for a little bit, the only ally for Blythe. Like, I do mm-hmm. think that she was looking out for her, but at the end of the day, like, she is Fox's mother and, like, she has to kind of choose him. There were some sweet moments between them where she was like, you know, Blythe felt like someone was actually listening to her and her struggles, but... At the end of the day, she just seemed like she wanted to keep the peace. She would never have chosen Blythe over Fox. You're right, though. I felt the same way. Sometimes I was like, yeah, she's she's the mother figure that Blythe needs to, in this instance to help her out a little bit and help her navigate this because Fox isn't there. But again, felt a little manipulative, like with the night nurse and all of that, you know? Yeah. 
here's some help for a very limited amount of time and I get to choose yeah. when it starts and when it ends and that's it. It almost felt like there were there were moments where it felt like she didn't think that Blythe was stable enough to like be a mother and like she was kind of having to step in to take over and like oh in my day I I you know wasn't there didn't they talk about how like she did everything and like you know she was the mother who like found the time to cook all the meals for the children and you know essentially she was the perfect like mother and fox yeah. wanted that from blythe but there was no way he was ever gonna get that from blythe she was also kind of like the the exact opposite of cecilia you know she was there all the time she witnessed moments she you know she cared about them she she just did everything in the house she essentially like was like self-sacrificing for her children and i think fox actually really struggles with the fact that blythe isn't his mom you know, she she struggles with the babies. Like, he comes home and he's kind of like, what have you done all day? And I don't think he takes her writing career seriously. And I don't think that... Do we know his mom's name? No, I was trying to find it and I couldn't. So I if we do, I missed it. It's almost like they kind of pass off her writing career as, like, an excuse for her to not do housework. It's kind of like, well, <laughs> you've been home all day. Like, what have you been doing? And she's like, well, I'm trying to write. And they're like, I don't know, they kind of, like, pass... They disregard that and think, well, oh, well, that's something you do from home, so you should be able to, like, keep house as well. What did you think of the painting? Remember, um, Blythe sees this, like, painting, I can't remember the artist, and it's this little boy, like, cupping his mom's chin, mm-hmm. and, and she's he's, like, on her lap. And it was, okay, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but the painter, like, was it they never really painted children and it was rare for them to do so or they always painted children i really should have looked this up before i'm not sure about that yeah i I didn't look into did it say that in the book or did you go sort of look into the artist after i looked into the artist after the painting itself though it felt that do you remember like right before she had she had sam she asked someone like what does it feel like what's the second one like or she saw someone with a second kid and this person said oh you'll see like the second kid is totally different and so she kind of clung on to that word different and I think maybe the painting was like a symbol of that it was going to be the child who like fawns over the mother and who has mm-hmm. that connection. Because I think, like, there was something about, like, the little child looking lovingly up to his mother. And they, you could see that bond in the painting that Blythe knew she didn't have with Violet. Like, there was almost, like, this, like, separation or this, like, wall between them that they could never quite get over. And mm-hmm. it seemed, I think Blythe thought that it was, like, I think there were moments when Blythe thought that it was her. Because Violet and Fox got along just fine. They never had any issues. But for some reason, like, Violet really hated her mother. And there are moments when she would say things to her, like, in front of Fox, and it was just kind of, like, swept under the table. Did she get this tape and this painting, like, before, or, uh, before Sam, or... I think it was after Violet. It was when she found out she was pregnant, and she wanted something for the nursery, like, a picture for the nursery. And I can't remember if she was at, like, a flea market or something, and she saw this painting, and she was like, I need to have this. I know it's not really, like, fit for a nursery, but I I have to have it. And, Mm -hmm. um... Then, okay, I just remembered something else about the painting. So she, it was like her prized possession. It was like always in Sam's bedroom. And then when her and Fox were getting a divorce, it disappears. And she said, she just, she was like, oh yeah, Fox took it. And I always thought that was weird. Because even though Fox was a dick, like he cheats on her and he like always sides with Violet. I don't think, I think that's more of him just being like a toxic man and less like him having like a sinister inside. Like I think that... 
not to say, you know, not to undermine toxic masculinity by any means, but, like, I think that he just, like, doesn't get it. I think he's a little bit more, I think he's more so ignorant than anything, and, like, I, I was gonna, like, I don't think he, that seemed weird to me that he would steal the painting, and then later on she asks him where it is, and he says he doesn't know. So do you think it was Violet? Because it does show up after, and, like, Gemma brings it over, right? I don't know if Fox brings it over. Isn't it? Oh, Isn't was it, like, it? slashed or something? I don't remember that. Or did, I, now, hmm. am I lying? Because, like, I know the clothes were slashed, but I'm not sure about the painting. I'm going to have to re-record me saying whether or not it's slashed. Because, <laughs> so, I made an error when reading this book, is that I dog-eared the pages instead of highlighting it. That makes it way harder for me to go back and, like, find the pieces that I was... I also, it was such a thriller. I was reading it so fast that I didn't, like, stop to, like, highlight things. I think that was why I dog-eared it instead of highlighting it, because I was just like, oh my god, this is so good. Yeah. No, it was good. It was a fast read. Do, do you think that Violet took the painting? And then Fox ended up finding it, and then and then when he did find it, he was kind of like, okay, I will bring this back to her now. I think that makes sense, because it might be another one of those ways that Ashley O'Dran is, like, throwing us off, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, is this something that Violet wanted and yearned for this entire time and never got? Maybe that's what it was, you know? Or maybe it was more of a, oh, I finally got her out of my life, but I'm gonna hold on to the painting as, like, a souvenir or something. I don't know. Or even, like, I think she saw that as her last tie to Sam. It was because, like, I think Blythe saw herself in Sam in that picture, so Violet was like, I'm gonna take that away from you as well. Like, not only am I going to take Sam out of your life, but I'm going to take this thing that, like, represents the relationship that you had with him. That's a good point. But maybe she never took it. I could have just fucked all of that up. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it was in their house, and yeah, you're right. It must have been her (laughs) that took it. They also had a really strange relationship with Gemma, and Blythe had a really strange relationship with her, because it started out as, like, kind of stalking and wanting to get to know, you know, the other woman, but then... She got really attached and, like, eventually missed her. And it was such a weird sort of fucked up relationship. Like, what do you think of that? I'm so glad you brought that up because I thought that was such a weird part of the book where I started to feel like, oh, wait, maybe this woman is just having, like, a really rough time and is imagining everything because she really kind of, I don't know, the the way she was acting was a little absurd during that period because she, how does it start? Because she goes to that, like, baby, that, like, mommy and me group. But does she, she, like, somehow, she finds out from Violet that she's going to that, I think. And so she ends up showing up, but, like, with a wig on. And Gemma's so sweet. Like, she kind of, like, brings her in with open arms. Like, she wants to get to know her and seems, like, very, very genuine, and you're kind of, like, rooting for her a little bit. Like, she seems like she's pregnant, she's excited for her baby, Mm -hmm. you know, she's really in love with this, you know, new man that she's met, and she seems to, like, have a genuine, like, attachment to Violet as well, which is interesting, because, like, not even even Blythe has that. Was that her trying to be close to her family still? Like, what what did you make of that? You know, when you think there's a lack in you of something like important Mm -hmm. and if personally if I thought you know I was missing like a crucial characteristic and because of that I maybe had self-destructed or just destructed myself in 
my marriage and my child's relationship and all of that, then wouldn't you want to go see the person who had that characteristic? And yeah, and like what what's it like to have it and what are you like as a person and you know, maybe it was that. It was that kind of like morbid curiosity of, you know, what am I missing? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was really sad because <laughs> I mean, in a way, I feel like anyone can see themselves doing that. I don't think it's, like, symptomatic of, you know, your mental state. I just think it's, like, she had lost so much at that point. And it's, like, well, who did I need to be to have it? And Gemma is, like, almost similar to Blythe's mother-in-law. Like, she, you know, she's a doting mother. She's really excited about her baby. She's excited about a, a child that's not her own, like... You know, she, she's genuine, she's sweet, she's open, like, she is kind of everything that Blythe is not in that way. It was interesting that she was going to, almost like stalking Gemma a little bit, but then we also get a glimpse of her stalking them after, like, that relationship unravels. And Gemma finds out that, you know, Blythe is actually Fox's ex, she's the mother of Violet, and she, mm-hmm. you know, separates that themselves, but she's actually still very kind to her after that and they they keep that relationship but then that's when Blythe starts going by the house and stalking them which is how the novel starts is Blythe like kind of watching them from the window and she sees you know she's talking about because the the whole book is written to Fox she's kind Mm -hmm. of like I see you there with your new wife and like um your two kids and I don't think you know at that point that like one of the kids is Blythe's and the other kid is um Gemma and Fox's but it starts to get revealed later on. So even though, like, the stalking is kind of, like, lower level at the beginning, it's like, okay, like, who among us wouldn't, like, maybe, like, show up to an event, try to be inconspicuous and see who that person is. But now she's full on, like, going and watching them in their homes. Yeah. And, like, Violet knows. And there was a moment where she comes up to comes up to the window and uh, Blythe thinks she's mouthing, I pushed him. Yeah. And then, like... Are you matching this? Is this happening for real? And is Violet just really, really messing with you? And, like, kind of reveling in it, too, you know? The way it's written, it's all happening, you know? This kid is really, you know, really messing with her and loves it. But the beginning of the novel, when she sees them, I think she just kind of notes, she notes that, like, she waves from the window or something. So it seems so innocent. Like, Violet just seems like a sweet girl who's, like maybe noticing that her mom drove by and it's just kind of like hi mom like it almost feels like you don't have the the other pieces of the story and it's only at the end when she's driving by that you get that moment when she's like i pushed him from the window and it just felt like that parallel between her watching them at the beginning and then her watching them at the end is so different like you have like, yeah. with those two different contexts yeah because at the in the beginning you're kind of like you know, kind of, like, feeling sorry for the girl, almost. Like, the girl wants to be with her mother or something. And, yeah, exactly. you're right, like, at the end. It's, like, completely, like, not maniacal, but, but yeah, definitely ominous, right? At the beginning of the novel, it feels like the daughter notices her and is intrigued. At the end, it's like she's taunting her. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's exactly. like you go back and reread the beat, and you're like, oh, it, it ha-, like with the context, it's such a different reading of it. It's it's yeah. interesting. Like I find thrillers often aren't that well written. Like I don't know about you. Like I I love like Stephen King, and he does have some some good ones. And like I, we were before recording, we we're talking about the woman in the window and. Uh, there's another one called like the silent patient and like they're they're good and they're mm-hmm. you flip through them but they're actually the silent patient had a really good that one's good but you know you you read some thrillers and you're kind of like okay i see what you did there like you know the writing's a little bit surface and it's like and it, and it can be because it's 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 a genre where it gives you enough to keep you through it that it doesn't really need to give you any like themes or or any background story or like anything beyond what you're reading but this Mm -hmm. one felt like she was planting a lot of things in it that you you could explore so much more afterwards the the relationship with her mother like and and i mean you could you could read this book and and put the thriller part aside and read it as a you know a woman who's going through severe postpartum and like that part's quite beautifully written too like you know, that struggle with her husband at the beginning when he's essentially just seeing her as someone to take care of the kids and she's, like, I think there's, like, a full, like, two pages where it's, like, yeah, uh, I'm here nursing and then feeding and then crying and then changing diapers and then this and then that and she's, like, you're going off and you have purpose, you know, you go for haircuts because you need to get your haircut, you, you know, have important places to be and she's seeing that like parallel between her and her husband like all that stuff is so beautifully written and feels so tied to humanity and I feel like that's something that you don't usually get from thrillers like a lot of times it's just like a good story and I and I mean there's nothing wrong with that still a good story but like there was a lot more to this book where okay let's pretend for a moment that Violet hadn't done it I would have been disappointed but overall it was still like a deep analysis of you know women and you know the the confines that they can be put under it's just way better that there was that (laughs) it's really funny that you mentioned the haircut thing too because there's a part in the book where she quantifies his like the amount he's mourning sam based on how his appearance has changed because that's all he's giving her like suddenly i think he's a little bit more disheveled and she's like okay that's the only cue you're giving me and same thing for when he's starting to have an affair and she's like oh like he's starting to layer his clothes and i thought that was such a smart descriptor it says so much you know i would and i was a little bit jealous of that line i don't think i would think to use that line as like a descriptor of someone like you know putting themselves together more like he was layering his clothes i just that really stuck with me for some reason. It was so smart and, like, efficient, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. She had, a, I feel like she had a lot of those where it was just, like, an efficient line that summed up so much about a character. The character study in this book is also top-notch. I, I didn't realize this till I was just flipping through it before our, like, record, but... Did you notice how much she relies on studying other people's relationships to kind of, I don't know, maybe it's to guide her own life? But tell me what you think of this, because I thought it was really interesting how, you know, the early days of her trying to figure out why she's not really meshing with Violet, she runs into this mother in the cafe, right? And they kind of, they don't have much of a vocal interaction it's very you know 
it's very small but it says very much it's again very efficient and it's like it's like she kind of learns how other mothers out there are i think i'm borrowing her words and i will like inflicting little injustices or something like that on you know their kid and that's okay like you know taking a little bit longer to uh i don't know use the tissue to wipe their snot or something like that letting them run around in a little in their like soiled diaper a little bit longer and she's like she was almost taking that as a little win you know and I, I found that to be a parallel to, I mean, a much, much smaller parallel to how Cecilia was almost like, wait, no, Blythe was almost like waterboarded by Cecilia when she was a kid, you know, and that's a much larger injustice. I hope that's a line and I'm not just making that up, but it, I no, think I got it from somewhere. No, you're, you're absolutely right. That was, I'm so glad you brought up the, that moment in the cafe when she runs into that other mother, because I, I felt like that was such a smart moment to show like how Blythe was feeling by paralleling it with another woman. Cause I think shortly before that chapter, you know, she's kind of like in a group of other mothers or surveying other mothers and noticing how they're all like excited to be mothers and like on page 42 I think I did write this one down it was at a prenatal exercise class and it was like like all of our days the conversation had a mundane routine how the baby slept when and where how much they ate the plan for solid foods daycare or nanny what contraptions they'd bought they couldn't live without that the rest of us needed to buy too eventually Mm -hmm. it would be nap time for one of the babies and then blah 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 and then finally I had the courage to say what was really on my mind. I threw it out like bait. This is pretty hard some days, isn't it? The whole, this whole motherhood thing. And then they go, sometimes, yeah, but it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do, you know? So it's like immediately she shut down and she's like, fuck. Like I had a moment where I was like, hey guys, this actually fucking sucks sometimes. Slash all the time for her. And they're just kind of like, yeah, but it's perfect. It's wonderful. And and she feels so (laughs) awful. And it's shortly after that that she meets this woman in the cafe. And I think the thing that she noticed about her, I can't remember the major thing, but one thing that struck a chord with me was that she mentions that she never raised her voice to a higher pitch to talk to her child like the other mothers did. She wasn't like, Mm -hmm. hi, baby. She was just kind of like, hi, baby. Like, you know, she she didn't change her voice to talk to the child. And that that struck something in... um, in Blythe and I think that was another moment of like that efficient line where she was like this is how this mother behaved and she immediately felt this attraction to her because she felt like she understood her and she had the courage to give her her phone number because she wanted to like have that relationship and she said like she never ended up following up and nothing ever became of it but so it is actually immediately after she's having that that talk with the moms where she goes this is a pretty uh pretty hard sometimes and they all go but it's the most rewarding thing then literally on the next page she goes into a coffee shop this is when she meets the the mother and it says um violet was asleep in the stroller i pushed it back and forth gently so she wouldn't wake up the diaper bag slipped from the handle and her bottle fell out and rolled across the floor i collected it and decided i would not wipe off the nipple i felt a rush of power when i made the clandestine decisions like this decisions other mothers would not make because they weren't supposed to like leaving a wet diaper on too long or skipping her overdue bath again because i couldn't be bothered The woman turned to me and we shared a look, not a smile, but an acknowledgement that we had both morphed into a version of ourselves that didn't feel as good as had been advertised. And it goes on to like talk about her relationship with her. So she's, she's, you know, she's saying, and I think this is kind of paralleling herself with her mother, you know, she sees herself as a bad mom because she's like, I'm not going to wipe this off. I'm going to give it to you or I'm going to leave the diaper on you a little bit too long. I think she sees her, her mother in her. 
in those moments, Mm -hmm. but she's okay with it because she's kind of like, you know, I'm not abusing my child like I was abused, but I'm going to let these little things kind of slide. Unlike the other mothers who are like, this is the most rewarding thing ever. (laughs) Which seems totally robotic and like repressing it. She has another one of these moments, like later she's in another cafe and um, I think it's like much later and she's like going to this cafe regularly to like write and he's always there and she comes to think of him as like a friend even though they don't really talk. And then one day he brings his like parents in and he's basically telling them about you know how him and his partner bought a place and they're about to have a baby and then the mom wants to come help out but he's like no I think we're fine I think her mom's gonna come and Blythe is just sitting there being like oh like you're breaking your parents hearts but you know and she's just like studying them and studying you know like how other people are treating each other and I just think that's really interesting because it's like I do think she's trying to make up for, you know, this this relationship that she didn't have with Cecilia by just, like, seeing, I am this kind of mother. What are other kinds of mothers? And, you know, what are, what are those relationships like? So it always seems to happen in cafes. She studies people because I think she doesn't, like, really believe what she sees either. Because shortly after that, that paragraph, when the moms are being a little bit robotic, she says something like, I studied their faces looking for the cracks in their lies. Or, sorry, looking for their lies, but they never cracked or something. So she she believes that they don't believe what they're saying, but they won't ever let anyone else know it. Like, she's yeah. convinced that no one's, like, really happily a mother, you know? She's like, they all must be like me. They all must be like you know my mother and like I don't think that's I'm inclined to think that that's probably true but based on the other readings that we've had and just from talking to you know women that have had children it's not fucking easy or fun or you know you need like it's such a like massive undertaking you know even if it's like the thing you want most in the world you need more than one person to do it you know like or and I don't mean that as like, oh, you need like a husband to do it. It's more like you need some kind of support, if, whether it's your own mother or whether it's like a sister or it's like someone, you know, just like rooting for you. And I feel like Blythe just had no one. She, she had, Yeah, she had like Fox's mom for a little bit, but that was so like transactional almost. It was like, I'm only here for my grandkid. And if you don't like my grandkid, I'm not going to be there for you <laughs> in a way. Yeah, she didn't really have anyone on her team because when, until Sam was born, and that was kind of like he was her ally. But it was always like Violet and Fox against her, or, you know, her mother against her, even like Fox's mother against her. You know, she didn't really have anyone on her side, someone to like root for her and be like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Maybe Violet is being a dick. Like, you know, she, she is the, the one in the wrong here. I think there was a moment when, like, Blythe, not Blythe, sorry, Violet specifically says something like, I hate my mom, or, like, you know, something like that. And Fox doesn't really react. He's kind of like, oh, kids just kind of act like that sometimes. Yeah, she did. She would just be like, hadn't, like, Blythe gone to sit at a hotel or something like that? And, like, um... She was away for a little bit. Oh no, she was at the, she was at the sort of retreat where she was like recovering because they thought she needed some time away to heal mentally, and um, she'd come back and Violet was like, "Oh, I liked it better when you weren't here," basically saying that she didn't, she wanted her to not be part of her dynamic with Fox. 
So we're in agreement, I think, that we read a book about a child serial killer. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think that's so great because it's like, it's a subject that you don't read very often, you know, it's, again, it's a fresh take on it because it's like, it's, it's written from the mom's angle and the mom's like postpartum angle, which I think is really interesting because the only other book I can think of that's like you know in the the sort of area is you know Bates Motel and like that mm-hmm. whole story but I yeah I just think it's such a cool exploration mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this book me too what did you uh drink with it I picked up a bottle of Dylan's rye three oaks and I just thought that that was a nice little tie-in because it's a local Ontario whiskey and this book is well I'm not sure if it's based in Toronto but the author is from Toronto so I'll take it I read it as Toronto for sure yeah just even like how she was like when we were talking about the cafes in the streets I was definitely picturing Toronto oh yeah I I thought it was you know like a really mild sort of smooth whiskey they have a great story though they say it's like it's called three oaks because it's aged for three years in three different type types of oak which is cool they distill one batch at a time they use no flavorings and colorings which i thought was really interesting because you know i'm all about clean eating and so are you but when i'm buying booze i don't really you know look at the labels as much I'm not looking to see, like, are there preservatives or colorings in here? Because I'm sure there's tons in all the wine I drink. (laughs) So I thought this was a cool um, thing to know about this whiskey. It's cleaner, I guess. But yeah, it's, you know, light, mild, has a nice little toasted flavor. But right now I'm drinking it with Perrier because it's hot. Yeah, I know. I was like, I am going to actually have a sip. So I've been drinking... Prosecco during this recording. How dare I? <laughs> <laughs> you drink what you um, want. But I, oh, that was a nice little pop. But I did bring in my bottle for the recording because I'm going to have a little sip now because this is such an interesting drink. Okay, I cheated. So this is not whiskey. What is that? But mm, it's brandy. So I went down your route as well and I wanted to go with something local because I was like, okay, I believe that this book is, is in Toronto. I actually, like, she's from Toronto. And then that, that um, accident, I totally pictured it at, you know where the like beautiful TD Bank is downtown on King? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like black and has like those kind of yellow panels throughout. It's really beautiful, especially like, I love the inside of that building. And it's mm-hmm. right in that intersection. I think it's across from like a Scotiabank. And like in my head, that is where the accident happened. Like where, the accident, like where Violet kills um, Sam. So I wanted to go with something local. Um, it's not Toronto, but I mean, I mean nothing's distilled in Toronto. It's a, a place called uh, Clarksburg, which is actually where the Blue Mountains are in Ontario. And it's a company called, or a distillery called Spy. And it's all like James Bond inspired, oh, which I think cool. is really cool. Uh-huh. And um, they have like a gin, a vodka, an eau de vie, I think. They have some ciders that are really good. I, I tried one of the ciders. But I found a brandy and I'm like, it looks like whiskey. <laughs> I actually nice. couldn't remember what brandy was made from. And I should have known because back when I did like a cocktail course in college, I wrote my essay on brandy. But It's grapes, isn't it? It is. It's fortified wine. Yeah. Yeah. But it has apples in it. Like it's it's made from from apples and it's so fucking good. Oh, jeez. Spill this. It was not cheap. Spill this. <laughs> made for me. 
but um, it's all made in small batches and uh, it's it's and like yours um, it's uh, really pure I don't think they use any like additives or anything it's double distilled lightly aged in cognac barrels mm. tied to cognac the result is a smooth and spicy flavor with perceptible heat behind it toasted oak and nitrous oxide imparts notes of burnt caramel and vanilla sounds delicious it's really good so i i would love for you to try this when you're allowed to come over sometime because it's not something i'm gonna like go for a lot but and look at this bottle look how cute this is it's kind of dark in here i'm not sure if you're gonna be able to see it but there's like a little like martini drawing on the inside oh that's so cute oh i love that it has a little face on it (laughs) it does i love it should post a photo on her instagram that is so good you can really taste the apple but it's not sweet so Spy, and it's called, um, all their drinks are based off of Bond movies, and this one's called Matahari Beyond Brandy. Yeah. I love it. I so so it. the the names are also based on sort of, like, characters in movies, you're saying? Based off of called... James, I think they're all, I think Matahari is the name of the movie, and then their cider that I tried is called Goldeneye, which is one of the movies. Mm. I mean, some of those movies are brutal, like, they do not age well, I don't, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> uh, most of them. I love Casino Royale. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, but it's, I thought it was a cool concept and like, it was cool that they named them all after it, but I really enjoyed it. So I did cheat this time. I will, I will be back on the whiskey for our next book, but, uh, I thought it was, it was nice to stay local for this. That sounds okay. delicious. We drink other things sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that we both picked like clean ingredients too. I'm going to definitely start doing that because I started... Like, I, I have thought about that with, like, uh, wine labels sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll pick, like, a more natural wine, and I feel like it's definitely easier to do with wine, just because I feel like the industry sort of shifted in the past couple of years, at least, too. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe we'll pick more clean whiskey offerings <laughs> next time. I'm excited. So what are we reading next time? Oh yeah, let's talk about that. So we think that next time we will talk about Milk Fed. It is a book by Melissa Broder. Um, So I've read another book by her called So Sad Today, which is actually a collection of essays, and I really enjoyed that. And you know about that Twitter, Twitter, right? The Twitter account for So Sad Today. So we're excited to get into this. She's I, I don't know much about this book. I really like to go blind into these books, but she's, you know, I think this is her third book because she wrote The Pisces as well. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, she's written for The New York Times, Vice, and The Cut. So mm. this should be a good one. I don't know anything about the story, do you? I know only that it's about a woman with an eating disorder, which I just thought was, I, I don't think I've ever read anything from that perspective and like something I definitely want to read absolutely I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it um I want to say she's in a polyamorous relationship but I also might be confusing an essay that I read about Melissa Broder because I listened to a podcast of her and then which was coming from an essay where she talks about her husband who has like a chronic illness that actually keeps him like in bed for quite a lot of a lot of the time Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I am mixing it up. I think that her and her husband had, like, an open marriage, which isn't yeah. the same thing as polyamory. I'm aware of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, like, trying. I think fragments are coming back to me now. 
I guess it is technically, it would be polyamorous, really. No, sorry, I'm like now wrestling with language. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you're in a polyamorous relationship, then you're not more tied to one person, like、mm-hmm. out of all the people that you're seeing. And I could be totally wrong too, but so I think what, why an open marriage is different is that you're married to this one person, but you're also allowed to see other people,、yeah. but not be as involved with them、yes, as you are with、correct. your husband. Polyamory would be like, I have two partners, or like, you know, a partner and a boyfriend or girlfriend. And I think that's、yeah. how it works. But we can look it up and, find, and make sure we are correct for next time. So here's a little blurb. It says it's a scathingly funny, wildly erotic, and fiercely imaginative story about food, sex, and God. Ooh, yeah. I'm so, I'm so into this. That should be a good one. I'm excited to read it. Well, thanks for reading with us. And drinking with us. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye.